Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Astrology with Janet Hickox. Grab your cup of coffee or your tea, sit back, let's chat about what is happening up in the stars above for this week. I hope everybody's doing well and had an awesome weekend. I see everybody's checking in this morning. Susie Gemini, awesome. Tanya, hello. And uh, I'm sure there are others behind there because now I've scrolled on and can't see, but it's good to be here and it's good to see everybody. You might have noticed I have a new cup this morning. This was given to me by my littlest grandson and his mama for my birthday yesterday. I love it. It is special made because they, I don't know, it looks like there's a seam here. So they took the picture and had it put on a cup. So it keeps my coffee nice and warm, but it's also beautiful. And it was a beautiful day yesterday. Hopefully all of you fathers out there had a wonderful day as well. We spent it outdoors exploring and going to the beach. It was just a wonderful day. Um, so this morning, however, is a whole different day. Kind of crazy. It's our last day of the spring. Uh, if you are in the northern hemisphere and the last day of autumn if you are in the southern hemisphere as we prepare then for the solstices the summer solstice for the north the uh winter solstice for those of you in the south and it is a day of cleaning up right it's a day of bringing everything from the spring to a close to an awareness and getting ready then for what comes next as the solstice begins tomorrow morning, my time at 2.14 a.m. And so at 2.14 a.m., that means 5.14 a.m. for those of you on the East Coast and for Europe about six hours after that. So 11, it looks like uh, universal time, uh, 9.14 a.m. for those of you in universal time. And we start a new season. So today what I thought we would do, even though it's been totally disorganized for me this morning, is that we will take a look at what does the summer solstice look like. If we take a picture of the chart um, at the time of a solstice or at the time of an equinox, we can take a look ahead, if you will, at like what are the energies lining up for for the next three month period of time. So it's an interesting pattern we have is if you can like take a look at this chart, you can see it's, it's very one-sided, right? There's almost everything on the one hemisphere of the chart. And that makes for a lot of focus in one particular kind of energies. And of course, that's also being shown up in your own personal charts as well. So that means like, for example, if your personal chart had all of this side, with a bunch of planets. Now what you have is a lot of oppositions going on across your chart. Um, so it really depends on what the, the chart looks like in your own, um, for your own birth date. But it could mean for, uh, for some of you that you have a lot of tricky things coming up for the next couple of months. And by the way, this isn't a pattern that's new to us. We've been experiencing this pattern almost since the beginning of this year with planets kind of piled up in a few signs. And in fact, the pile is mostly in the sign of Aries and the sign of Taurus and the sign of Cancer tomorrow anyway, starting tomorrow. This chart I'm looking at is tomorrow's chart. And then we have a smattering of planets in another couple of signs. The big deal, though, of course, is still the uh, nature of the outer planets all in semi-sextile to one another or in sort of like a hopscotch order where we have Pluto, then Saturn, then Neptune, then Jupiter or Mars, and then uh, Uranus and uh, Mercury, they're all like hopping into signs that are just one sign apart from one another. Uh, so anyway, it's just so interesting to watch how these patterns flow in uh, our charts. Now today we start the day with the moon in Pisces and we have a, a lot of connections today with the moon conjunct Neptune. Moon conjunct Neptune is a nice kind of coming together of um, our intuitive uh, faculties, our inner world, sort of our emotional world, our sensitivity, all kind of coming together uh, for us. Now, it can also make for a very confusing day. And uh, I got to tell you, you guys, <laughs> thank you, Tom, you're so funny. Um, the, the, the energy of the day can be a little confusing for some or a little bit kind of scattered feeling. 
but for the most part, we're also tapped into our intuition. And Pisces, of course, is a wonderful sign for imagination and our creativity. It gives us access to the unseen realm, if you will, and it gives us access to seeing things that we might normally kind of gloss over. So maybe we're tapping in deeper to our more spiritual side, to our more compassionate, generous, loving hearts. And of course, that's always the highlight of uh, the moon in Pisces is being able to give us that access to that higher energy. Now, later in the day, we also have a square to the sun coming up with Pisces. I mean, with the moon and the moon squaring to the sun brings us to a crisis of sorts. So I want to remind everybody about what those are. Now, we are on our way to the new moon. We've just had the full moon a week ago. And so what we are in is a closing square between the sun and the moon. And the closing square is often called the crisis of consciousness. And the crisis of consciousness, because now in the stream of our intention setting and our creating the world, uh, our personal world, but also our contribution to the collective, we come to a point where we realize that we have to make the shift in our consciousness, in our awareness, that that the world itself isn't bending itself to our will, but instead we are bending with the world to with our intentions. And what that means is that we shift our consciousness. So if we wanted to, let's say you set an intention back with the new moon of uh, Gemini, then you set the, your intention, let's say, to be a better communicator, right? You wanted to be able to uh, communicate a message to a loved one in maybe it was a, a message that needed to be tender or compassionate. Maybe it was a difficult one, but you set the intention that you were going to do this. And what you may find is as you set the intention to have this difficult conversation, that at times throughout this period of time, you're coming to the realization that it was my communication style that needed to change. It wasn't that the person was having a problem or that it that the the fault was with the other person you realize with the crisis of consciousness that i have to shift something within me that helps me to align with what it was that i set as my intention i hope that makes sense because the first crisis that we come to is the uh first week after the new moon so it's the day that falls halfway between the new moon and uh the full moon and so it's usually these come in seven day increments, right? It's a 28 and a half day cycle. So we have the new moon, that's the intention setting part. Then we come to the first crisis, which is a crisis of action. And at the crisis of action point, we may develop a resistance in the outer world to whatever it is that our intentions might've been. And that could be a block, it could be a fear, it could be anything that stands in our way. And we may be tempted to give up our, our um, uh, intention. So instead, what we're meant to do at this point is to go with the flow. Where's the flow taking us? And to flow over, under, around, uh, stop for a moment if that's what the universe seems to be uh, compelling you to do. Uh, so that first crisis point comes seven days after the new moon, and it's that crisis of action. And then we get to the full moon where we can maybe have an aha moment. We can see what it is that we need to release, what it is that we have to bring to completion in order to go on. And now we are a week after that and the crisis of consciousness. Now, how do we shift what's going on in our conscious mind? Uh, maybe having come face to face with some subconscious patterns, something in the undersurface of things, right, that are... Uh, that keeps us in, keeps us locked into an old pattern. So we get to come together uh, in our, our uh, path through the month and decide, well, how do we want to shift our consciousness? And of course, I'm going to tell you, always keep applying more love, more love to your, your, yourself in this case, because this is pretty personalized. This isn't you demanding that the world consciousness shift for you, this is you shifting your consciousness. I hope all of that makes sense. And then, of course, you get to the 
uh, next new moon, which won't be until July. Um, what is the ne next new moon? It should be early in the month. Um, oh, it's actually at the end of this month, July or June 28th. So next week we'll have a new moon in Cancer. So we start a new round of this energy. So I hope that all makes sense to everybody. Let's see. Good morning, Kathy Miller. It's good to see you out there. Irene Alberg. Hello. She says, much love from Sweden. I just love the energies flowing right now. So full of openings and potentials. I feel there will be a turning point with the new moon and July 3rd is my solar return. Awesome. So you have a new uh, day dawning. And uh, Susie Gemini says she's feeling very positive about the solstice. Good morning, Pam Zaruba, Kathleen Mallory. Hello to you. And good morning, Debbie Tibbetts Tumiel and anybody else I've missed. JLo, hello to you out there. And uh, I did have a really nice birthday. Thank you very much. We spent a lot of time outdoors and I didn't realize that you can't really see it, but I got a ring of sunburn right around my neck. It was totally cloudy. But somehow the sun manages to, or the UV rays managed to come through, and I ended up getting sunburned. But spending time with wonderful people, I got to tell you guys, I saw the most wonderful thing. We were, there are two or three forts that form a sort of triangle along Puget Sound that are relics of the, of the Second World War, where they were erected to protect uh, ships, uh, uh, enemy ships from coming into Puget Sound. And so Fort Casey and Fort Eby are two of them that are on this side of the water. On the other side is Fort Waldron. Um, but we were at the two other forts on our side, Eby and uh, Casey. And they're fun. It's a, just a fun place to go. And uh, we were all walking along the beach and we come up the rise to the fort itself. And here is this man flying this gigantic kite. I mean, this thing had to have been 30 feet long and it was an octopus. So as it started rising up into the air, you saw the first, the head of the octopus rising and then all the tentacles just flowing in the breeze. It was amazing. And I, I couldn't understand how they could, without taking him for a, a, a flight himself, how this big kite could fly. It was so pretty, bright purple colors. It was just beautiful. It was like, we were all just awestruck watching this kite. Uh, and then there was another guy that, it, because it's very windy out there, it's in Oak Harbor, which if you guys have ever heard about Washington, it's very windy on that part of the coast, but it's protected in this park by the rise of the fort around it. So inside it can still be windy, but it's not too windy to fly the kites. So it makes a wonderful place for, for kite flying. So this other guy was flying a one that I thought was going to be like a parasail and uh, thought that he was going to take off. He was actually harnessed to it, but he never did take off. So maybe there wasn't enough wind or maybe he just decided to just fly it. But it was absolutely fun and beautiful to watch that. And uh, good morning, Corey. And hello, Asa. Good to see the two of you as well this morning. So anyway, it was a great day and uh, lots of fun, lots of food. Oh, my gosh. And I was so tired last night when I got home because we had hiked I don't know, I had almost 10,000 steps. So what's that, five miles? It was five miles of, of fun, let me tell you. Through sand and rocks and grass, went to the lighthouse. It was just great. Uh, okay, so let's go, let's take a deeper look then at, uh, since we've looked at the moon today. So we were talking about the moon in Pisces. And uh, the day today, uh, later at 8.37 p.m. my time, so what's at 11.37 p.m. East Coast time? The moon will shift into Aries. So we really only have the Piscean energy during the day. Let's look at how long the void is. The void is really only about 20 minutes long from 8.11 p.m. to 8.37 p.m. So we don't have a void to worry about. We're just really literally going to flow right from Pisces into Aries energy. So what we have with the summer solstice then is the moon in Aries. And in fact, at the summer solstice, it'll be at three degrees, five minutes of Aries. Aries moon is a little bit confrontational, right? It has Mars energy associated with it, but it's also really beautiful energy for a new beginning. It starts, right? The Aries is the starting of the, the Zodiac. So we have a new beginning inherent in this. So I find that to be fortuitous. 
Um, it's also action oriented. So we might find ourselves, depending on what your own astrology chart looks like, you might find yourself in action mode as we begin to move step-by-step step into a new season. So we have that and we have that moon uh, at the solstice, very close to Jupiter, who is at six degrees of, Pi of uh, Aries. So we have a moon-Jupiter conjunction for the season. Now, of course, Jupiter's going to move, the moon is going to move, but we, we take a look at what is the snapshot at that moment, because that energy sort of stays with us as kind of an, an echo or a, a shadow of itself all through the season until we have the next season in the uh, what will be the autumn uh, equinox. So when we look at the moon and Jupiter put together, we have a lot of potential for growth for an expansion of our consciousness and our awareness but we also on the more negative side have a real potential for overdoing it so we want to be careful because we're looking at aries energy where these two planets are aries energy wants to go fast it, it's impulsive it wants to act first think later it's emotionally a little volatile meaning up and down maybe or confrontational conflict also a part of it so we may have some, you know, bully potential here. We may have some anger erupting potential here. Um, but as we look at it in our own charts, where is Aries in your chart? In my uh, uh, personal chart, Aries is up on the 10th house. So maybe it's new energy putting forth into my career or profession. If it's in, say, your first house, maybe it's a new beginning and some growth personally right? In your own personal viewpoint, in how you connect to the world. So we have the potential of new, we have the potential for growth, we have the potential to expand and broaden our horizons, our viewpoints, but we also have the potential for overdoing it through all different methods, right? Overeating, overdoing, over uh, drinking, over talking, lots of stuff, right? Overages. So we, we want to make sure we stay sort of proportional in the things that we do, right? So, um, you know, I always use this example of if you want to run a marathon, you don't only just run one mile every day and then on marathon day expect to be able to do the 26 miles, right? That would be an, an overestimation of your ability. You have to build up, right, to be able to do that. So, keep that in mind. Don't just run a mile and then expect tomorrow you can run 26, right? The other thing here is that you also don't want to overestimate what you can do or what you can deliver. So when we are, you know, in our world, in our lives, we think, oh, I can get that done in five, you know, days. <clears throat> Expand that out a little bit just to account for time that you might have to wait, you know, downtime, weather delays, etc. cetera. Uh, because if you overestimate yourself now, you're going to end up paying for it in the end. Now as well, let's take a look at what else is going on as we have the sun sitting at zero degrees of cancer. That's the summer solstice, right? So we're changing out of Gemini season and into uh, the season of cancer. And cancer brings us to home and family and traditions it brings us into the more nurturing, mothering, caring, teaching, values kind of energy. And we, if we look at, let's see where the sun is, the sun will be in uh, what looks like a square, almost a, yep, that square is still going to stay pretty darn close tomorrow. So we were talking about the, the moon, sun, square, and the crisis of consciousness. Well, at the solstice, the sun is at zero, zero cancer and the moon at three degrees of Aries. So we still have that crisis of consciousness energy with us tomorrow, which means we also have that kind of feeling uh, throughout the next three month period of time. So keep that in mind as well. So if we're going to feel a sort of, and, and this would be like a, an underlying pattern that you're feeling or an underlying um, emotion energy that you're feeling of having to change your consciousness, right? To, to level up, if you will, that will 
pervade the entire three month period of time, even though it isn't going to be activated the full time. What might start today and into tomorrow as a crisis in your life of consciousness, where's my thinking, where's my consciousness level can end up taking about that three month period of time to find the solution or to actually complete with that consciousness, whatever it is that comes up. So look to where Aries and then also where is cancer in your chart, right? Where is cancer in your chart? My cancer sits at my first house. So my challenge might be to change my consciousness of who I am within my career or profession, right? You can see that, right? It's been changing already. I feel like that's already been up for me. So that is how I would look at it with where it is in my own personal chart. Uh, so if you um, know your chart really well, or if you don't even just get it out and take a look and see where those two signs are. And that's going to give you an idea of the area of your life that you might be affected in. Now, for example, in this particular chart, if this chart were a person, if the summer solstice were a person, this is what their chart would look like, right? Heavy on that uh, eastern horizon and in that eastern hemisphere, which does hold the potential for a lot of new, right? A lot of new experiences, kind of testing the waters and moving out somewhat from the tried and true, right? Stepping out as it were. But of course, the moment that we, we choose to step out, it's fraught with peril, right? Because <laughs> the first thing that happens often is that we come, we meet a block or a resistance, or we meet a fear, right? A shadow energy that's holed up within us. And then it comes to the surface because we're trying something new. We're jumping outside of our comfort zone and our whole uh, persona goes, ah! Uh, but if this were the chart of a person, it would be the person, the, the fear house, the 12th house actually where the moon is. So the moon, in, if this were a person, if you have this moon Jupiter conjunction going on in the 12th house of your chart, it would be stirring up the unconscious patterns that are being held by you, what things you might be fearful of, or what things are hidden from you that are or secreted away, what have you been trying to keep down within you that is going to be coming up to the surface. And then, of course, in this case, it comes out with the sun moving into the third house for communication, right? For a change in the mind, because it's a consciousness shift here. The third house rules the mind, it rules our communication, it rules what we teach, it rules what we learn. And in that instance, then we might want to learn more about our unconsciousness. We might want to uh, talk to someone more. Maybe we need to have, you know, a counselor, a guide, a coach, somebody that can help us through uh, what all of these fears that are coming up are about. So that's kind of how we would look at this energy for these next three months, that square between the sun and the moon, really driving what is uh, going to be the main energy, I think, for the next three month period of time. At least it's the closest connection to the sun at zero degrees of cancer. I just realized the ascendant of this chart today would be one degree, 11 minutes, one, one, one Taurus. Uh, so if that were a person, that would be this person's rising sign. But now we also have to look at what other connections are happening between these planets. The next closest uh, connection, I think, for the sun would be also that square to Jupiter at six degrees of uh, Aries. And uh, also just to the right of the sun is Lilith, Black Moon Lilith at seven degrees of Cancer. So we have another situation here of a uh, maybe a set of patterns in your life that you need to break or that you need to work through. And as you work through these patterns, then you might see the path of growth. Because the one thing I know about squares now, you know, squares can be kind of scary. I mean, uh, certainly when I say a square, I'm like, ah, work to be done. But a square presents a lot of tension, a lot of pressure, if you will to push us in new into new territory, to release something or to let go of something, to move beyond where we have been. And 
that it, it's almost such consistent pressure and so it, it feels so uncomfortable that we we almost make change just to make ourselves feel better right so a square can be very valuable in pushing us ahead in making us step outside of our comfort zone to step outside of the places that we have been fixed in and helps us to make that change but it can feel darn uncomfortable so there's discomfort but not necessarily something really bad. Remember when we talked about the minor aspects like the semi-sextile and the semi-square, um, those have tension and they have pressure too, but it's not always obvious what we need to do in order to solve those kind of minor tensions. But the square pretty much doesn't leave anything behind. It tells us blaringly, you got to start eating better. You got to start moving your body. You need to start being better financially. You need to start being in a, a you know, go, getting out of your uh, comfort zone if you want to meet new people. It tells us because we feel the pressure or the strain or the stress, and it's almost pushing us into something new. So the squares are our friends, even though I cringe every time I see one <laughs> in my chart or in other people's charts. There's that, you know, immediate sort of knee jerk that wants to come up that says, ah, this is difficult. But it doesn't have to be if you actually move in the direction that this square is pushing you or if you make the change or if you release something or let it go and that kind of thing happens. So. Uh, so we have the square there, the conjunction to the Black Moon Lilith. So the Black Moon Lilith is a part of us that is in shadow. It's sort of our blind spot. So wherever she sits in your personal chart is a place where you have sort of a blind spot fear, where there's a part of you you're not embracing that you don't even want to look at. So, you know, like if you were driving and you went to change lanes without looking in your, your mirrors or turning your, your head to look over your shoulder, you might not realize there's a car in this lane, right? Because you just, it's a blind spot. You didn't see it. The same thing happens with the Black Moon Lilith. We actually have to turn and face the fear, whatever that might be. Now, the fear kind of thing that happens with cancer is that a fear of an abandonment or rejection. So we build a sort of hard shell around ourselves in some way to protect ourselves from the environment, from other people, from life in general, from making mistakes, from you name it, right? Because we're afraid that our family or our friends might abandon us. They might not like us, so they're going to leave us. And if you have an open identity center in your uh, human design chart or an open emotional center in your human design chart, this can be made even more uh, uh, on the surface for you because you're already dealing with the uh, energy or the the feeling of I have to do what I need to do to fit in, right? So I, I make everything happy for everybody because if I don't, uh, then they're not going to love me. If I don't, they might walk away from me. So this fear can be a little bit exasper, exas exacerbated <laughs> by uh, this tension that is happening. Now, the seven degrees is not a very close conjunction, but considering that we are looking at something that's going to be revealed over a three-month period of time, it's a possibility that we might be dealing with that fear, but it's also a collective fear. And the collective fear, I find this one interesting because it is overprotective, right? It is a, a, a very security conscious. It is very much looking for stability. And so does things to protect itself, to stay stable, to have change not be a part of the conversation. So a part of our shadow might be where it is that we, we, we say we want change, but there's something else that's dragging us back here that we might have to look at over these next couple of months to get clear of what it is that's holding us back. I was thinking about it this morning because um, <laughs> a part of me, my, my little sister is in New Jersey visiting her daughter. And I was thinking, oh, what fun it would be to travel, to just, you know, get up and go and, you know, go to New Jersey or New York or Washington, D.C. or places for me that I've never been because they're over on the East Coast. And I mean, I've been a lot of places along the West Coast, 
but haven't been too many places that direction. And what would, what would it look like to just, you know, plan a trip and just get on an airplane and go fly and see Asa in, in uh, Washington, DC, or go see uh, other people that let's go see JLo in New York city, or, or I know there are people out there in, in New Jersey too. And then immediately upon that, I got this other feeling that's behind it. And, and that is I'm a homebody. I like my home. I like to be here. So the thought of going on the road and traveling immediately brought up the shadow of home, of wanting to stay here. Now, if I could get my husband to tag along with me, if I could bring home with me, that would be a different story, right? It would be totally different. I would be off and running because I wouldn't feel alone. That is kind of what I'm talking about here. You have this excitement about doing something or about going somewhere, about doing something new. And then you immediately hear something as a shadow behind it all that's holding you back, right? Something that holds you back. So that's kind of what I'm talking about here. Now, we also have Chiron and Mars and Eris all in Aries. So we do have extra sort of push to move outward, right? To move outward and to do. So the cautionary tale here is to not do too much that you totally give up safety or security or stability. So we need to find the happy medium, right? We need to find the medium uh, place that we can do this uh, for ourselves. And let's see lo what else looks like it's happening uh, in relation to the sun. Not that much. Although guess what? Mercury today is at seven degrees of Gemini or uh, tomorrow, sorry, at the solstice is at seven degrees of Gemini. And that means that Lilith at seven degrees of cancer puts those two in uh, our semi sextile state, right? Remember semi sextiles are 30 degree relationships between the planet. And it brings up a little bit of tension uh, it's not a bad tension, by the way, because the half of a sextile, a sextile is an ease and flow of, of uh, conversation. They get each other, right? But in a semi-sextile, they don't quite get one another, right? Gemini's uh, tendency to be unexpectedly mobile, to do things without a whole lot of foresight and planning, uh, to, you know, want to take action flies in the face of the sun and Lilith in Cancer, that little bit more uh, wanting to stay close to home. So we might, that's why that conversation is coming up. Of course, it's coming up. It's perfect because uh, it's right there that the pressure is already on, even in the midst of the potential for this new season, there is this little conversation going on behind the scenes. What's holding you back? That becomes the question. What is holding you back? Tom said, that's a Mercury return for me. And a Mercury return is like any other planet that comes into a return. It's a new beginning, right? A new beginning of the round of Mercury, which is about your mind and your communication and how you use your energy in terms of moving forward and speaking your truth and thinking and all of that. So uh, big communication uh, a new beginning for you, Tom, with your Mercury return. Uh, okay, now let's look at what else might be going on during the solstice. Uranus looks to be very close to a conjunction with the North Node. They're still four degrees out from one another, so it's not exact yet. Um, but I can see how, because remember the nodes are backing into the sign. So if the North Node is at 21, on the summer solstice, its next degree is 20, and then 19, 18, 17. So it's moving backward toward Uranus, while Uranus is moving forward toward the North Node. And that is a big call for a new beginning of sorts. Uh, anytime you have a destiny calling with a, a planet that's progressive, a planet that's about liberation, a planet that's about freedom, you have the potential for some explosive change coming. And I think that's just something for us to look to, not necessarily happening. Uh, let me see if I can tell by my little book here. 
when oh it's not going to tell me on this but let's see if i can look and see when the north node and uranus isn't going to change gates so this isn't going to happen until close to where is uranus on that day at 2.6 it will happen on july 31st july 31st the north node and uranus will come into a conjunction at the gate two in our human design and the gate two in our human design is all about allowing allowing change allowing freedom allowing progression allowing ourselves to move forward into new territory without holding on to the baggage of the past without all of the calls to go backwards right we need to be able to move forward powerfully here uh, as time goes on so you might circle that day on your calendar because you're all going to have uranus conjunct the new the north the north node conjunct uranus right <laughs> and of course that same day signals a change in the north and south node in our human design because right now they're at the gate 43 and 23 the north node at 23 helping us to simplify our lives remember that conversation we had a few months back and simplifying our lives finding the things that are most important to us the most important things that we value and also <clears throat> recognizing that uh, we all have our personal genius, right? We all carry that genius within us. What is our personal genius? And that is what leads us to simplify everything that we do in our lives around finding our genius, doing what it is that's correct for us. So it should be a pretty exciting time for all of us, but I also see it brings disruption to the outer world. So we we'll might wanna watch for the reactionary energy of the collective or of the people in institutions, government and schools and banking and the economy, healthcare, all those big institutions as they react against this move for progression, for liberation and freedom. Uh, Tanya, good morning. Question, is there a name for the aspect of two semi-squares and a square forming a triangle? There is actually, um, there are all kinds of different triangles that can form some of them they are um they what i'm trying to think of the name of that triangle well let's just call them triangles sometimes there's a learning triangle right sometimes and i the this is definitely not my specialty tanya it's a great question but sometimes there is a crisis triangle and sometimes what's the other one there's crisis and there's uh, learning and then there is one other type a change one i think it is that um that you know change happens despite our best endeavors to try to keep it from happening so there's these three different triangles that are made up by semi-sextiles and a square it's an isosceles triangle tom but there's a name for it in astrology too and uh i can't think of it maybe somebody who can get access to google um see what that triangle is called or maybe tanya you even know uh what that aspect is called and actually one formed with uh the full moon this past uh week and uh it was a learning um triangle so what happens essentially is that there's some kind of of maybe crisis or a problem that we see or that forms and then there is the change that we see that's required for it and we are in some cases we're willing to do the change others we're not uh, but in a learning triangle that has to the lesson of change has to be learned and so change happens mutation is a, probably a better word happens even against our best wishes right like no no i want to stay here um, but somehow we have to move right it's kind of forced foisted or forced upon us uh, there is a T-square, but that's not the one I'm talking about. A T-square is formed when we have two planets in opposition, and each of them form a square to a planet that comes up at the point. And a T-square is a pattern that is very energetic and needs requires balance, right? Requires balance. And the balance comes from the, the opposite point of the of the of the square so if the point is at leo for example 
some whatever degree in Leo, then it's going to be the balance point is going to be down in Aquarius because it's the opposite. So um, that is a very tricky um, aspect in a chart, but it also means when I see that somebody has T-squares, they've come to this lifetime to learn a lot, right? So they, they're on a learning path in this life. So awesome. Tanya says, I have plenty of T-squares in my chart. You do. Ah, and Tom says he has a yod too. Yeah, a yod is another kind of triangle that's formed in astrology. And it's formed from a sextile between two planets that both have form a 150 degree angle to a planet at its point. That's called the finger of God in astrology. Sometimes it is a very highly stressful, tension filled kind of, uh, of a, an aspect pattern uh, or a configuration because you've got a lot of tension, a lot of need to sacrifice or to adapt in to, to new circumstances that might be beyond your control, right? So forcing you into um, a change of sorts. And those sometimes are things like tragedies that happen that force you to that point. Sometimes it is a, a, a somebody leaving you in a relationship or a job change. It can be any number of things. It really depends on what the base planets are. But you, in a yod, you always have to think about the two base planets because they are in a good working relationship with one another. So if you can hold true to the base while weathering whatever the tension or the stress is, it'll help you to alleviate the stress or the, um, the need to stress or, or um, have that tension while you're making the move toward that nozzle point, right? Toward the tip of that yod. So um, the finger of the world is another triangle. Ooh, I don't know what that one is, JLo. Um, I might know it by a different name. So there's always these different, you know, aspect patterns that show up. I mean, you see in, in a chart, when you pull a chart, especially like some from Astrodyne store, I mean, even any of the programs, they have the center part here where all these lines and things are or right here. You see all these red lines. Those lines tell you what the aspect patterns are. Right. So if I looked at this, I could see, oh, is there, well, this is a very messy one. <laughs> so it would be really hard to see, but it does look like there's a lot of squares pointing at the moon. Indeed, there would be with the summer solstice because of the sun and uh, the black moon Lilith. Um, there's this, the, the moon is also receiving uh, sextile energy. It's receiving trine energy. So, or that's Neptune receiving trine energy. Um, yeah, like there's no pattern like that jumping out at me at the moment. Of course it's not a wedge. That's what it's called. The wedge pattern, uh, in astrology where we have the triangle. I think I see kind of one here where, but that's not, that's a sextile between Saturn and the galactic center and the galactic center opposing kind of by a little bit of a wide margin where the sun is at zero cancer and Saturn also widely doing that. So that's a bit of a wedge pattern. So it's the wedge patterns that create, there's three different types. Like I said, the crisis, the learning and the uh, mutation or the, the need for change. So, so JLo, the finger of the world formed by two square to each other, both making sesquiquadrates to a third and acts like an apex point. That kind of sounds like one of the um, wedges. It does kind of sound like that. Sesquiquadrate is 135 degrees. Yeah, I can see it's kind of a, a narrower yod. Huh. So anyway, lots of different configurations and the configurations really just tell us how are the planets working together in your chart? And some of them may not be very active, right? <laughs> Here's what I know about aspect patterns, though. When a planet in transit comes across an apex point, let's say of a yod, that is when the change has to happen, right? Because that apex planet is being forced into doing something by a planet that is transiting over the top of it. When a planet may be transiting over the base of the yod, maybe those things are strengthening the base, right? So 
like maybe the base is getting strengthened because of some form of learning you're do doing, a class that you've taken, um, some advice that you've gotten that is going to help you strengthen your core, if you will, so that you can weather the changes as planets come across the top. When you have, a, say, a trine, a trine is an ease and flow of the energies, right? They're all in the same element, um, a fire trine maybe, or a water trine, or a air, etc. But if a planet's transiting around one of the ends or one of those three points that forms the trine, um, then it may activate that trine in some way for you. Now, the same thing can happen. Here's a great um, way for us to look at this in some ways. For example, in my own chart, I have an almost perfect Star of David. The only point that's missing is eight degrees of Capricorn. There's nothing at eight degrees of Capricorn in my chart. But every month, the moon comes to eight degrees of Capricorn. And as any planet transits over eight degrees of Capricorn, it forms that perfect Star of David in my chart. And a Star of David can be very disconcerting because it holds the the uh, a lot of potential talents, a lot of potential gifts because they're made up of quintiles and a, a lot of it may be a point in my in the month where some new thing comes into my awareness, but I don't know how to make it work with all of the other things that I'm doing. So we have that in our charts too. So let's say you have a T-square that could form every time a planet comes across zero degrees cancer. So now tomorrow, then a T-square gets activated by a transiting planet. So now we're talking a little bit more complexity in astrology. And I don't want you to panic if you have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, but just tap into days in the month or times in your lives where things feel a little bit different, where maybe you feel more capable, maybe you feel more at ease, maybe you feel more stressed, <laughs> maybe you feel more chaotic or more crazy. Those would be likely times when a planet or the moon are connecting to something in your chart that completes an aspect pattern that you maybe not even be aware that's there. And if it happens on a consistent basis, like my Star of David, every month that the moon moves past eight degrees of Capricorn, it's activated, right? Then you start to be able to plan ahead for what those things are that might be uh, coming for you during that period of time or how to handle the stress as you know it's coming up. I've been sort of noticing in my own life that as the moon transits through specific signs, I am way more emotional and find myself crying more and more. And then it's almost like the next one day it turns off and then I feel better. I can talk about all kinds of things without dissolving into tears. Or if I start to cry, it, it goes away really easy. While when it's in the other signs, mm -mm, can't do it. And I'm not sure which signs those are yet. Um, so, uh, but I've noticed it. It's like there's these, you know, several days during each month where it's very difficult for me. And then it gets easier. So I, the only thing I can come to is that it's the moon. And it's only because I've had a tragedy happen in my life on a at a specific time that I can kind of see this pattern that has been uh, coming through my life. And it doesn't have to be a tragedy, by the way. It could be something really awesome that happened the day that you had a baby, <laughs> the day that you got a new job, the day that you got married, that can enter into a pattern that repeats as far as how you feel throughout each month, right? Or as time goes on. Questions about that? I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, like, now, how does that play out in my chart? Uh, Tom, the flying fickle finger of fate. Wow, I would be careful of saying that too many times out loud. Um, bye, Susie. Take care. Uh, uh, Kathleen Mall Mallory says astrology is cool. Indeed. And so is human design. So I had an aha moment yesterday driving home from Oak Harbor, which is like 90 minutes from where I live or where we were uh, south of Oak Harbor was 90 minutes home. And I was thinking, you know, from an astro design point of view, um, your, 
you know how in your human design there are the two columns of numbers, right? The black column is called the personality. That's what it says up there is personality. But I usually call it or think of it as your soul purpose, right? It's like your soul's curriculum. Those planets outline what the soul is um, learning. And then you have your life purpose. Now, the soul's curriculum is probably something that stays fairly static until you've learned it all, right? But the life purpose is going to change with every lifetime. This, this is me conjecturing, by the way. So the life purpose planets then align astrologically to something that happened three months prior to your birth. So my birthday yesterday, my son is at the gate 12, the sixth line, 12, six, and my life purpose son is at 25, two, right? So it has, so the life purpose, and then I went, oh my gosh, that's a life purpose. That's Aries, right? So I have an Aries life purpose with a Gemini sun. And so I started thinking about how that might work out in people's charts. So, uh, so all of you that I meet with during this week, we might have a little bit of a conversation as I want to see and play with how that works out in your own life, right? So if I have a Gemini sun, which is my soul being able to be a divine communicator, speaking, connecting to super consciousness, bringing in messages for people, and my uh, life purpose sun, which is called the design sun, is at 25, then a 25 is called the gate of spirit, right? It's the universal loving gate, universal love. Uh, then maybe I'm delivering messages in a loving way for people, but it's also Aries energy. And it might be something like this has always nagged at me is that planning ahead to talk to somebody is sometimes difficult for me because Aries energy is impulsive. It does things in the moment. So I think it adds to the whole idea of super consciousness streaming in. And that doesn't happen unless I'm in front of the other person where I have access to streaming at the level of soul, soul to soul, if you will, with that person. So that was kind of fun. So personality, Christine, always means the design date, the, the, the date that was three months before you were born. I call it life purpose. In fact, even Karen Curry Parker is moving into, has been moved into calling that life purpose, the red column, soul purpose, the black column. And then the way that they interact is to bring about the soul's curriculum via what you are experiencing in this life, right? You could do the same thing with the earth, right? My earth is sitting at the gate 11 in the sixth line, the gate of ideas. And, and that is a Sagittarius gate, right? Because it would be the opposite. The sun is always opposite of the earth in our charts. So that's a Sagittarian energy. And then my earth on my uh, personality side or my life purpose earth is sitting at the gate 46, which is a Libran gate. So I always wondered why I attract so many Librans into my life, right? Because earth as a playground, as a learning ground, as a classroom is going to bring me people to learn the Libran lessons of my life purpose. It's really kind of fun to look at it that way. And then if I bring them all together, of course, that's called the incarnation cross. And the incarnation cross then shows me that I have Gemini, Sagittarius, Aries, Libra, and about 70% of my experiences are going to come through just those two settings, right? The Or those four settings, if you want to look at sun, earth, sun, earth. So it's kind of fascinating, right? You can get a really good read, an easier read on what you're here to do just by looking at that and then add maybe what planets might be sitting with your sun, what planets might be sitting with your earth, what planets might be sitting with the sun three weeks or three months earlier at, you know, in Aries. I also have an Aries midheaven, right? That, that, right? So no wonder I'm an entrepreneur or a solopreneur going it alone. Um, <laughs> it just makes so much sense when you start to break it down that way, right? When you can see these patterns that are meant to be. Uh, so when will you do a class on that, Pam? That's a great question. Um, I would have to think about how would I, maybe that's more of a uh, astro design meetup kind of thing, because I think there would be a lot of questions coming from individuals about their own charts. And I don't know how we do a class on that, but that gives me something to respond to as a generator. Right now I'm seeing something outside of me 
based on an idea that I've been playing with in my head, it gives me something to respond to, right? Generators need something to respond to. So as you can see today, I'm really on to living astrology, right? Living our astrology is so important. And it's really when you know it, you have to know who you are first. That's the bottom. That's the key, right? You have to know. You don't have to be an astrologer. You don't even have to know what all of those things are that we talk about as far as semi-sextiles, et cetera, et cetera. But if you know some key pieces of, of what your chart looks like, then you have access to quite a bit of information about who you are at soul level and who you are in this lifetime, right? The soul is the bigger picture. It always holds the bigger picture. So the curriculum, if you will. So if you were going to go to school to become a doctor, you would have a curriculum that you would have to follow, right? You would have to learn in this certain order, these things that might happen. And yet they're all part of a bigger whole. Well, the soul has the same thing. Each of these planets is showing us uh, an, an energy of what the soul's curriculum is holding. And let's say uh, you have... Um, like Tom must have Mercury in Gemini. So his soul's curriculum for communication is about mastering Mercury communication in the sign that it rules of communication. So a double dose of needing to learn to listen, a double dose of learning how to speak and when to speak and how to say what you need to say for Tom right? That's what Tom's soul curriculum would be. And we get a little, uh, a, a stronger picture if we looked at Tom's chart at what the gates are that his Mercury sits at. We would see his soul purpose gate is going to sit at a certain place, but he's also got a life purpose Mercury. And that is going to be a little bit different, right? And so his life purpose would be to learn to speak and communicate and think along the lines of the life purpose, wherever that might be. And of course, all of that getting morphed by any other planets around it and transiting planets, etc. So no, Mercury is in Cancer. So is mine. So you have Mercury in Cancer. So you're not having a, a Mercury return yet. Right? Mercury won't return until Mercury gets into Cancer. Mercury's in Gemini right now. So Mercury in Cancer changes it only so far as now it's about how to speak without being overly emotional, but yet to maintain your connection to the emotions. So, yeah. Uh, please draw a card for solstice. Let's do that. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. Where does the time go? I'm going to draw some animal card. And I think I'm going to go with a galactic heritage card. But if somebody wants another card drawn, tell me. And... We'll draw that. Uh, okay, so let's get an idea here, right? All those teachers, I just realized you guys are all on summer break now. Um, awesome. All right, so this animal will help us get through this period of time. And awesome, it's horse. And horse spirit says, freedom is yours. And it is card number 33. So it is a master number, but it was also upside down. So we have some lessons to learn about this. What did I do with the book? For spirit in protection. So it says, are you feeling stuck? Funny how we were talking about this. Has your spirit been broken by challenges you have faced? Your current choices may not seem the best, but you are not seeing the clearing ahead where you can break free and run. Whatever your choice is right now, they can lead you to exhilarating freedom. So trust the guidance of spirit. Horse spirit is here to tell you that adventure calls and you will soon realize your power is greater than you think. Perhaps your frustration and feelings of being fenced in are the result of being too much on your high horse, unwilling to come down to earth and join the herd that wants to support you. Being in control and in charge can be overrated. It's time to loosen up, drop the reins, let go and prance with others just for the fun of it. Well, I like that for a summer solstice card. Uh, horse spirit, card 33. And let's see what our galactic cards tell us for the summer solstice. And hi, Natasha. Um, I was thinking of you when I was saying the teachers are out of school. 
uh, that, you know, you've got your summer ahead of you. Okay. Balance is what we get from the galactic cards right side up. Not that there's an upside down with these cards. Balance is about Arcturus in a parallel universe to ours. So the nine balance Arcturus. I don't think we've ever had that card. So this should be informative. Okay, the Arcturus energy exists with its polarities totally balanced. Because one polarity isn't stronger than another, its energy appears very gentle. But don't let that gentleness fool you. The power of its balanced energy can dramatically open your heart and mind when you connect with it. When you feel the need for balance, call on the Arcturus energy to guide you. Use the colors of pastel pink and pastel green to represent the energy and let it wash over your body. If you choose this card, if you chose this card, the energy of Arcturus is calling to you. Open your heart and listen. Even though we're experiencing a reality of polarity as the theme for this journey, there are cosmic guides who still resonate with the frequency of balance and help remind us of our true state of existence. This is one of the primary roles of Arcturus energy. Because they have chosen not to incarnate into physicality in the same way that humans have, they have retained their original state of purity in which the natural poles are purely balanced. No matter how chaotic our reality becomes, internally or externally, the Arcturus energy is there as a stable healing energy that we can access to help us remember our true state of being. If this card comes up in your reading, see if it connects with the other cards in your readings and then trust your intuition as to how to apply the information. It could be that the card is pointing out your need to bring balance into your life in a certain area, or the card may actually be acknowledging your successful balance in an area of your life. If you look within and be really honest with yourself with no judgment, you will know what the essence of the message is for you. The balance that this card emphasizes will be different for all. It may have to do with heart, mind, male, female, fear, love, or another aspect. Let the Arcturan guides assist you in deciphering the meaning and trust what you receive. Wow, that's a really cool card. Something I think we all need. Balance. Balance from Arcturus. Um, so Catherine was... Worcester uh, says, I'd love a card reading only if you have some time. And because that caught my eye, I am going to do that for you, um, Catherine. And uh, not, not that I want to leave other people out because I would never intend to do that. But because it caught my eye, I feel like this must be something she needs to hear. And it is the masculine principle of Lyran past. Card number 12, which is a three, that deck is there. So the masculine principle, number 12, Lyra of the past. Let's see what that means for you. So it says the ancient Lyran uh, civilization is often described as reflecting the masculine principle. As the civilization grew, it moved out into the galaxy, settling planets, sometimes engaging in war, and seeking ways to perpetuate the species. They were the builders, protectors, and architects of a society. Both masculine and feminine principles exist within everyone. It is important that they remain in balance. We have another balance in energy here. This card asks you to work with your inner male energy. Listen to what it has to say and embrace it. This will help to heal an old karmic pattern from the days of ancient Lyra. Lyra was the first civilization that expressed polarity, setting the template for our exploration and healing of polarity for millennia afterward. One way they expressed polarity was through their masculine focus on external reality and in their attempts to manipulate physical reality according to their desires. Again, this could be a positive or negative expression depending on the intentions behind the actions. If you have this card in your reading, it is asking you to look at your inner and outer male-female balance. If you, can, if you see there is imbalance, work to bring those energies back into an alignment. You may be acting from an old template from ancient Lyran times that is ready to transform. Keep in mind that this is also the card of the warrior. 
In ancient times, you most likely had a lot of experience as a warrior and may still have those qualities within your nature. Look at how those qualities can be used constructively instead of destructively. There are always times when the warrior energy is useful. Attaining the mastery of a true warrior, even a spiritual one, means understanding when to use that energy for the greater good. If you need inspiration about what this really means, look to the ancient text of the Bhagavad Gita oh my Lord, and the teachings given to the warrior Arjuna by the great being Krishna. So, masculine principle, balancing your masculine and feminine sides. That's for you, Catherine Worcester. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me this morning. That is it for me today. And um, yes, I could pull a card for that. Justice, you can do that as well. Justice for All asks, can you draw a card for healing the body, mind, and spirit simultaneously? I'm going to tell you, you guys, you can, you can do anything, right? I was out for a bike ride on Saturday with my husband and um, I have a really nice bike with big fat tires so I can kind of Baja across the, the, the landscape in a much quicker, easier way than he can. So I decided I was going to take this hill uh, and I was going to ride this hill and I, on the way down, hit a point where my pedal and my foot kind of did a twist and I knew in that moment that I'd probably, you know, twisted my ankle and it hurt for that time, but I just kept on going when I, and I was hurting when I got home, when I went to bed, I said to my, my body, you know, let's do this healing thing, right? I, I don't. I don't need the experience of a, a twisted ankle. So I just kept breathing healing energy into my ankle as I went to sleep. And I woke up the next day knowing yesterday I was going to have to do a lot of walking and my ankle was perfectly fine. So we have the power. I know we have the power, the power to heal, right? The power to all pull our own cards and get our own answers, the power to go up into our higher self and bring in the answers we need. So Go there, do that, right? Take care, everybody. I'll see you on Friday. Do you wish you could better understand yourself and what is going on in the world? Well, grab your cup of coffee or tea and join the podcast Living Astrology with Janet Hickox for Astrology, Human Design, and Gene Keys Wisdom. Mondays and Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Podcasts are available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and your other favorite outlets.